We've been in, uh, in Exodus, um, and most of us probably aren't super into rules in life. Um, there's some people that really love rules, and we're forced to love them too. Um, just kidding. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, we're going through rules, and, and it's easy as we go through sections of Scripture like this to go, man, what does this have to do with me in, in 2017, a follower of Christ in, in, in the United States? Um, but we believe that God's Word uh, is, is profitable, all of it, right? That, that, that God has given us His Word, and it's, it's, it's how we most clearly see and know who He is. So we're going through this, and, and we're asking, okay, so what, what's, what's the point of this? Like, what is God trying to say um, through these different passages, and, and, and then how do we rightly apply this to our lives as well. So today we're looking really at how, um, how God's people are to treat one another, and when, when we wrong someone, how we're supposed to make amends, how do, we, how do we make it right, whether it's done intentionally or unintentionally. So um, in, in these 15 verses today, um, I hope that we will see, uh, again, how God is, is setting us apart, how, how we are to love our neighbor um, uh, like he would have us. So uh, we'll start right in verse 1. It says, If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there should be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. So I'll try and break this down. So we'll skip down to, to verse 4. Uh, the consequence for, for stealing, um, if it hasn't been sold or, or killed, um, the consequence is you, you, you pay double, right? You, you, you pay double what you stole. Um, and, and this is uh, this seems like a really good, a really fair consequence. I know as a parent, um, it is hard often for me to come up with a consequence that actually makes sense, that actually is connected to what's happened, that will hopefully help my child uh, learn from, from, uh, from their misbehavior. Um, so I, so if, if your kid slams the door, right, they slam their bedroom door because they're, they're mad at you, um, I don't know what you do. Maybe, maybe you explain to them that, that that's not how we treat doors in our house, right? And, and we have them practice shutting the door like we're supposed to 50 times or, or whatever. But it's hard for me as, as a parent. Like in the moment, I'm so mad. I want them to, to stop doing this thing. And, and often the behaviors that I give them or, or the consequences I give, I don't know if they really connect. And I don't know if they're actually that helpful. Um, but God here, I think, clearly sets standards for, for making it Right. The thief wanted to take something that, that, that did not belong to, to them. Um, and instead of just giving back what is stolen, they, they have to double it. Uh, their desire was to take from their neighbors um, uh, what was what, from, uh, from their neighbor what was not theirs. And now instead they have to give back to their neighbor as well. Um, they don't get thrown in jail. Right? The, the punishment is aimed um, at appropriate recompense for, for the owner of the property, but also uh, for rehabilitation for the offender. It's a, it's a direct response to the issue. Um, so they pay back double if, if it's still in their possession. Um, but if, if uh, the thief has stolen it and then he sold it or he killed it, um, the cost skyrockets. So if he stole uh, and sold the sheep, he pay, pays back four sheep 
for every sheep that he stole. Uh, if it's an oxen, he, he pays back five oxen. You're like, well, that's the deal. Why, why more for the oxen? Um, oxen had much greater value, right? The sheep uh, is, is good for some wool. And, and some meat, but but the oxen. Uh, this is this is their their worker. This is the one that that pulled the plow for them, that helped them move heavy things. Um, I don't know if you know this, but training an oxen apparently is really hard. Um, it, it takes several years to do so. Um, fortunately, there are a ton of YouTube videos on how to train oxen, and you, you think I'm joking? Um, it's unbelievable how many farmers think we need to know how to train our oxen. They made videos. Um, uh, but anyway, so, so not only is, is, is there greater value in, in, in stealing uh, oxen, but it's also this, uh, more audacious than stealing a sheep. I have not done either. I'm not even, I've touched a sheep. I've, I've never touched an oxen. Um, but stealing a, a little sheep, that, that's going to be a lot easier. Stealing this massive beast of an oxen, that's a, that is an audacious crime. Um, and, and, it, and it faces a, a stiffer punishment, and this feels so appropriate. To me, how, how God has has them paid back, how God um, has them make it right. It also seems like it should be a pretty good deterrent um, as we read uh, the, these rules, these laws. The cost is is steep, and that should keep a person, at least most people, um, from from really making that decision to to do that, to commit that crime. Um, and for those that do commit the crime, then they've got to pay back a steep price. Verses two and three. Um, so the thief, if, if they break in at night um, and the homeowner kills them, it, it's not the homeowner's fault. It, it says that it's, it's on, it's on the, uh, the thief that was breaking in. There's assumption that, that there's greater danger involved here. Is the owner, um, he can't tell what's, what's going on. He doesn't know the intent of the thief. Um, so the benefit goes to the owner. However, if that happens in the day, the owner can see what's going on. Right? The owner can determine uh, that the intent here is to steal and, and not, not to murder you. Right? you if someone breaks in in the day, I can see, oh, they have my iPhone. Right? They, they've got my flat screen off the wall. They're not trying to hurt me. They're just trying to take my stuff. There's also other people awake. Like I can call for help. It's going to be easier to get my neighbor to come over and, and help me. So they can't, they can't just kill the, the, the guy who breaks in um, because they can tell what's, what's, what's going on. It's not like Texas. Like I feel like in Texas, if someone breaks in your house, no matter what time of day, like you can just shoot them. Um, God apparently is not down with that. Um, so uh, you... Uh, sorry if someone's from Texas. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> My grandpa's in Texas. Uh, if, uh, so if you're caught, you, you pay double. Um, the intent was, was to take from, from someone else, and, and now you have to pay back not only that, but, but you also have to pay back from, from uh, what you have. And if you don't have enough money to pay back, then you're sold as a slave to pay off that debt. And the irony is that the thief w- would rather steal than to work, and now they're, they're, for, they're forced uh, they're forced to work in order to pay them back. And you notice the thief isn't locked up, right? The thief isn't thrown in, in jail, which really just costs everyone else. Um, the thief is supposed to contribute, um, and, and they end up doing that through their labor. So not only is the victim paid back what is owed, but the thief is, is, is really, uh, they're given an opportunity to learn. Like, I think we see God's heart here that, for us to change all right, to learn and grow um, and not continue in our sin. Verse 5, it says, If a man causes a field 
or a vineyard to be grazed over, or lets his beast loose, and it feeds on another man's field. He shall make restitution from the best of his own field um, and in his own vineyard. The fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed. He who started the fire shall make full restitution. So, so the situations here, your animals are grazing and, and, and you're not paying attention or, or maybe even do it on purpose and you let them graze into your, your neighbor's property. Um, God says, no, like th- this is their property and, and you are to respect that. You're, you're to hold um, their, their property in high esteem. It, it matters. Um, so God says that you're going to pay them back with your stuff, right? You're going to pay them back with, with your crop and not, not your, your shriveled up crop or your bug infested crop, but the best, the absolute best of your crop, you'll pay them back. Or if you're burning y- your field, um, you've got to watch out what you're doing here. You've got to be mindful of the safety uh, of your neighbor's property. You've got to look out and care for them. And, and if, you, if you burn their field, you, you need to make it right. right? You, need to, you need to make right the mistake that, that you've made. I'm often shocked um, in our society how, how little people are willing to, to make it right. Um, so we moved into our house like six or seven years ago. There's new carpet, and uh, pretty quickly there there was just issues with our carpet. Like it just we just had waves in our carpet, like in almost every room of our house. And we called the company up, and they're apologetic, and they'd come out and 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 fix it. Um, and it looked great for a little bit, and then it happened again and again. It happened like six or seven times that, that we had them come out. And finally, they they gave up, and they said, "We're not coming back. We don't know what's wrong." And I'm like, "God." goodness like I'm stuck with this I know first world problem right like my life is super hard um but we uh we we also had a a drawer that one day broke um and I called up the cabinet company uh and and they said bring it in and I drove up and uh brought it to them left it with them um they said come back in a couple days we'll have a new drawer for you and I came back and they told me that that it was it was their fault Whatever went wrong, it was, it was their issue. It wasn't my issue. I was, I was ready to pay to have this drawer fixed. I didn't care. Uh, but they said, no, this is on us. This, we, we did it wrong. Um, and, and it seems like too often, like, that's not the case. It seems like too often, like, we're, we're actually not concerned with, with making it right. Um, I, I worked for a counselor, or as a counselor for years. And one of my early, uh, earliest supervisors, uh, he pounded pounded into us a couple things. That one, that our time was valuable as, as counselors, that, that we really needed to, to guard our time, protect our time, um, but also that our, our client's time was, was really, really valuable, that they were giving up a lot to come and, and have a counseling session. So one day, um, he found out that one of our, one of our counselors had double-booked, uh, double-booked, had two clients uh, sitting in the waiting room at the same time, um, and, uh, and he, he said to the counselor, so what are you going to do to make this right? And the counselor said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get them uh, in as quickly as, as possible. I'm going to make an appointment for the next possible session. And he said, he said yes, and it's going to be free. Right? This person lost out. They, they gave up their lunchtime or whatever it was. They took time off work to come and, and be with you. And, and you're going to make this right. And we often know what is right and maybe even how to make it right. But we're also tempted not to pay the price to make it right. Like we're tempted to just do enough to get us off the hook or to make us feel better. Um, 
So for years, uh, as a counselor, I facilitated uh, domestic violence perpetrator treatment groups, right? So um, guys got busted uh, for a domestic violence charge, um, and it was uh, totally serious, obviously, not enough to get them in jail or prison. So uh, they, they had to be with me for a year. Uh, every uh, once a week uh, for a year, they had to be with me, and and, and we had all these things that, that we worked on throughout the year, um, different uh, different ways of helping them to recognize abuse and control behaviors, and so on and so forth. Uh, but but the last thing we had them do was uh, their we call it their letter of accountability, and uh, there are eight sections to the letter. The section one they had to they had to own up to uh, all the abuse they could remember doing as an adult. Right? And they, they had to try and, and estimate all the abuses and, 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 uh, and, and give account for that. Um, they had to give examples of uh, their controlling behaviors in Section 2. We had a list of 89 controlling behaviors. Like, we were, we were all over it. Um, and uh, the last section was, was often the hardest section for a lot of the guys. Um, it was the plan of amends. Uh, they, they, had to, they had to figure out a plan uh, to try and, and make amends for what they had done. Um, to the people in their lives, the people that they had controlled and abused. Um, and a lot of them fought us tooth and nail in that section. Um, they, we asked them you know, to be really creative and, and, and to go above and beyond um, in, in trying, to, trying to make up for what they had done. You know? And this wasn't something that you could just write a check and, and, and make it better. Um, this, is, this is a hard thing, and, and, and a lot of the guys uh, gave us a ton of pushback there. And the, the funny thing was they could have just lied to us. Like, we couldn't make them do this thing. I mean, there are other things that we could make them do, um, but, but I, couldn't, I couldn't actually find out if they, if they followed through on this plan. Um, but but they, they wanted to do as little as possible. Sorry, some of them wanted to do as little, little as possible. Some of them were awesome in the things that they did. They came up with way better plans than we ever could have thought for them. Um, but a lot of them didn't even want to do the bare minimum. So when you wrong someone, how high are you aiming? Are you, are you aiming just to do the bare minimum? When you hurt someone or offend, when you mistreat, when you lash out, how do you make it right? Are you quick to admit when you're wrong? Or do you take abnormally long to apologize? So, um, Lindsay and I, obviously, like everyone, we get in arguments. Um, and uh, there are way too many times for me to count where we got in some argument and um, we're laying in bed and the lights are off and I'm upset um, and I know I need to apologize, but I don't want to do it first. Right? Like somehow there's a victory if I don't apologize first. Because we both wronged each other, right? And in my mind, I really want her to apologize first. Um, do, do you do that? Do you play those stupid games? Do you let your pride get in the way? Sometimes I wonder if apologizing is, is even enough. Like maybe apologizing is just the first of several steps to make restitution. I think it's clear that a repentant heart does what it takes to make things right. That when God has our heart and we realize how we've wronged someone, we're going to make it right. We're going to make amends. Let's go to verse 7. 
It says, if a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe, and it's stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he, he, he pays double. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it's for an ox, for a donkey, for a sheep, for a cloak, or for any kind of lost thing of which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or ox or sheep or any beast to keep safe, and it dies or is injured or driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall, shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to the neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath, and he shall not make restitution. But if, he, uh, but if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to the owner. If it is torn by beasts, let him bring it as evidence. He shall, make, or he shall not make restitution for what's been torn. So, so your neighbor's got to go out of town on, on business or something, and, and they, don't, they don't have a safe to put things in, right? There, there's, there's no one there to watch their stuff. So they go to their neighbor and say, hey, I've got to travel. Can you watch these things of mine, these valuable things? It says if, if, if it's stolen, thief's caught, thief pays double, just like we've read before. Um, if there's no thief that is found, um, then the prime suspect is the neighbor that's been trusted with the stuff. And, and the two parties, they go before God. And if the, if the man makes an oath, he swears before God that he did not do it, then, then, then he has to take that oath. He has to, he has to trust that that, that that is true. Um, and, and if it's not true, you've just taken, taken an oath before God. Like that is, you, you've got a much bigger consequence coming. Um, it says if the animal was, was, uh, was stolen, uh, then the neighbor who was trusted with it, he's liable for it. If there's evidence that, that the animal attacked it, right? There's like a, a body that, uh, of the, the carcass of the animal's found. He takes it to the neighbor and says, see, I, I, didn't, I didn't do this. Um, then the owner takes the loss. Verse 14, if a man borrows anything of his neighbor and it's injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. If the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If it was hired, it came for its hiring fee. So, so if they borrowed a tool from their neighbor or a work animal from their neighbor and, and the animal dies or, or the thing breaks, um, then, then the borrower needs to, needs to make restitution for it, right? They need to replace it. Um, if there was a fee, uh, it says if, if it was hired, it's like, it, it's like they rented the tool or the animal. If that's the case, then, then the, fee, uh, the fee covers it. Um, when property is lent to you, how well do you take care of it? Right, if you borrow your, your friend's vehicle or chainsaw or I don't know, sewing machine, I don't know, whatever, um, you've got to take care of it. They're, they're saving you money um, because you don't have to buy this thing or rent this item. Um, they're, they're really serving you. And they're, I, I think we all know there are people that, that we love to lend to them because we lend it to them and it comes back better than it was, right? You, know, you have those people in your life. Like, you lend them your car, and, and not only did they, they fill up the gas tank, but, man, they, it looks like they vacuumed the car or waxed the car or, or whatever. I've, I've had people in my life like that. And then there are other people that, man, they want to borrow something, and you're like, oh, gosh, last time I was so dirty when I got it back. And, and I, did, I didn't used to do this all that well. 
Um, but by God's grace, I realized that, that I was really ungrateful um, when, when people lent me something. I was, I was disrespectful to the person that was graciously helping me out, whether it was borrowing a vehicle or a tool or, or, or whatever. And at some point, I realized not only, not only did I need to take care of it, but I, if I could even return this thing better than it was um, or, or somehow show my gratitude, I, I needed to do that. But the point of this is when we're trusted with something that's not our own, that we need to take care of it. We're responsible for it. We love them and serve them by at least keeping it as nice as it was. Maybe your neighbors are gone and they ask you to watch, watch over their place, right? We have neighbors that um, every year they, they, they leave for a month to go visit family. And they asked me to watch their place and ask them what that means. And he just basically says, like, just if you see a fire or something, you know, like call. <laughs> Don't call us. Call the fire department. And, and he always gives me a really big box of candy, um, which is funny to me, but very kind of him. Um, so I try. You know, like He doesn't give me keys to his house or anything, but, but I try to, to look after and see if I see anything suspicious. Like it, It's my job. He's trusting me to, to be helpful, to look out for, for his, his property. And if God's people, as they read, as, as, as they hear the rules, the law um, that God's given them, if God's people were, were responding to God's law, they were going to treat their neighbor really, really well. And, and if they were caught not following God's law, they were going to make it right. Well, why? And it's because God had, had saved them. Right? For, for generations, they were an oppressed people. They were slaves that were mistreated. Like, we know the story. They had very little hope, and I'm sure that they doubted whether God even heard their, their cries for help. But God did hear them, and he, he rescued them. He rescued them from Pharaoh, from the Egyptians. He rescued them in, in dramatic fashion. With the night of the Passover and the parting of the Red Sea, um, he, he, he'd saved them. So the response, well, what's the spo- a response that makes sense when you've been rescued? Well, you live, you live differently. Right? You, you have a different take on life. You've been given a gift, and it makes sense uh, that, that you change because of that, that gift of, of your life being saved. So Indiana University uh, in September, their uh, spelunking club went out on a trip. Right? Any spelunkers in the room? Nobody? Like, no, no, exploring a cave. Nobody spelunked before. Yeah, you, you, that counts. You're a spelunker then. I've spelunked four times. It's been great every time. Well, Lucas Kavar, he joined the Spelunking Club. Uh, he's a freshman. He was uh, lagging behind one of the, there were two groups. He's lagging behind, and he thought, oh, okay, I'll catch up with the other group, but he got lost in the cave. Um, and, and by the time he made it to the cave, everyone was gone. And the problem was there was a gate on the cave, and they, they closed the padlock. So he's stuck. Um, and he screamed for hours, hoping that, that someone would be nearby. Um, he was dressed in, in light clothing. Uh, he had hiking boots, a helmet. He had a, a plastic bag. He had two energy bar wrappers, no bar left. Um, he had two empty water bottles, a cell phone that had no signal, and a wallet. He used the energy bar wrappers to collect moisture and the water bottles to, to collect rainfall that was puddled in the cave. He licked the, the cave's walls to get um, more liquid in him. Um, he was getting really, really hungry because he, he ended up being stuck in there for 60 hours. He was so hungry that, that he was looking at these cave crickets, trying to figure out if he could get himself to eat those. 
Uh, but fortunately, he didn't have to because after 60 hours, the uh, spelunking club realized they left him and they came back. 60 hours he was stuck. Yeah, they said they didn't follow their protocol well enough. That is true. Uh, so this is, what, this is what Lucas said. He said, I'm really glad to be alive. It feels like I've been given a second chance. Um, he has no plans to spelunk anymore. Um, but he said, I've been given a second chance. And, and we don't know how that's impacted him. Um, I mean, it's, it's only been a month and a half or so. Um, but I'm sure, at least for a time, he, he will live differently. I'm, I'm guessing there are things that he doesn't take for granted anymore. Um, Maybe there are people that he loves, uh, he, he expresses that more clearly and more often now. I'm also guessing that there's some people in life he trusts a whole lot less. Um, but if Jesus has saved you, are you living like it? If you've been given this, this chance at, at, at real life, at true life, do you live differently? In Luke 7, uh, Jesus was invited to the house of a Pharisee, and he's reclining at the table. And, and some of you know this story. A, a, woman, uh, a woman from the city comes in, and, and she is known for being a sinner. Like this, the, the passage tells us that she, everybody knew that she was a sinner, including the host. And she begins washing Jesus' feet with her tears. Right? Her tears are, are pouring on Jesus' feet. She takes her hair and, and uses that as a towel to wipe his feet. And she breaks out this expensive perfume ointment and, 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 and puts it on Christ's feet. And the Pharisee's sitting there watching this, and he's thinking to himself, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know that she's a sinner, that she's a sinful woman. And if he knew that she was a sinner, he would not let her do this. So Jesus must not be a prophet. And Jesus says to the Pharisee, I have something to tell you. He says there are two men, and they, owned, uh, they owed a certain lender uh, and neither of them could pay him back. One owed 50 and one owed 500. And the lender canceled the debts of both. And he asked the Pharisee, which of them will love him more? And the Pharisee responded, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt for. And Jesus says, you're right. And, he, and then he contrasts the, the Pharisee and the woman. He says, I got here, and you, you didn't give me water to wash my feet. Right? And they wore sandals. The, the roads were dirty. Um, they had nasty feet. And it was normal that, that they would they'd at least give you water to wash your feet. He said, you didn't do that. And she comes in, and she washes her feet with my tears. She uses her hair to get the gunk off my feet. You gave me no kiss, Jesus says to the Pharisee, and she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, and she anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he says to her, your sins are forgiven, your, your faith has saved you. So she wasn't saved because she did this thing, right? Jesus says, like, it's your faith that has saved you. But she responds to Christ. She knew, uh, she knew who God was, and she responds out of that. So uh, do I remember that I've been forgiven much? Do I remember that I'm a notorious sinner that Christ died for? Does your life look like a person who's been forgiven much? Or do you look like a person who has not been saved at all? Do you just look like everyone else? What in your interactions with people points to a God who saves us from sin, a God who has willingly substituted himself, 
dying in our place, the death that we deserved. If I know Christ, my, my life should look differently, right? It, it should not be subtle. Someone shouldn't have to guess. Right? They should know that something is very different. Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Uh, Zacchaeus was, uh, he was not only a tax collector, but he was the chief tax collector, right? He was like the head honcho of tax collectors. Um, and, and if you don't know anything about tax collectors, just think of our IRS and how many people are like really excited about the IRS. Um, no no one, uh, unless you work for them, I think. Um, so uh, these tax collectors would, would, uh, would often get rich by overtaxing the people. They, they would pay to the government what they were supposed to, but they would rip, rip them off. They'd say, you owe this much, when it was really much less. And then they would keep the difference. And Zacchaeus was, was, was the head of those guys. He was loaded by ripping people off. He, he was rich. Um, he, he knew that he'd rip people off. He knew that the wealth that he had um, was from taking advantage of other people. Luke 19 says that he was seeking Jesus, right? And he's, he was this little guy. He was short, so he couldn't see over the crowds. So he climbs up this sycamore tree, and uh, he wants to see Christ. Um, and Jesus saw him, and, and Jesus uh, invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. So Zacchaeus scurries down the tree, and he's excited to come over and see Jesus. And the religious people grumbled. They grumbled that Jesus uh, was going to be the guest of a sinner. Um, everyone knew. Everyone knew that Zacchaeus had ripped people off over and over and over again. But Zacchaeus responds to Jesus, and he declares that he's going to give away half of his money to the poor. And then on top of that, he says, and to those he had cheated, he wasn't just going to pay back double, right, like we read in Exodus 22. He was going to pay back four times the amount that he'd ripped off. Can you imagine getting that knock on the door, right? You get a knock on the door, and, and, and you, wonder, uh, you wonder who it is, and you open the door, and there's Zacchaeus, the tax collector that rips you off every year. And you say, I've already paid my taxes. I just paid you last month. I'm not paying you again. And you start to slam the door shut, and Zacchaeus says, I know. I'm here to pay you. What? Why are you going to pay me? And, and I, I just wonder what opportunities there were for Zacchaeus to talk about Christ to talk about the God that forgives sins, to talk about the God that turned this man from a lover of money and riches into a lover of God. So are there people that, that you need to seek reconciliation with today? Are there, people, are there people who have attempted to reconcile with you and, and, and you've given them the stiff arm? that pride that, that you're not going to forgive. Or, or maybe you've uttered the words, I forgive you, but you continue to live like you don't. You're still holding something against them. Do you owe anyone anything? Have you, have you wronged someone? Maybe they don't even know that you've wronged them, but you know. What are you going to do to make it right? Making things right and, and, and reconciling, uh, it, it usually means we have to sacrifice, uh, often our pride. And this is, this is really, really hard for us. But you know what? Following Jesus is hard, right? Following Jesus involves sacrifice. And I think one of the biggest challenges for us as Christians in America is, is tricking ourselves in, in, into a faith that is really comfortable and actually a faith that, that does not sacrifice in the ways that, that Jesus has called us to sacrifice. Um, we cannot underestimate how influenced we are by the culture around us. Um, 
Jesus told us that, that, that we were going to sacrifice, right? And, he, and he, he demonstrated sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice for us. But he said, you're, you're going to pick up your cross every day and follow me. You're going to pick, you're going to pick up this instrument of torture and death and, and follow me. And, and I'm afraid that too often my following of Jesus, I, I just want to do the minimum. I just want to be comfortable and, and really fool myself. Uh, Lindsay and I have a couple missionary friends that, uh, man, I just I so look up to them. Uh, Mike and Angie, and, and we've known, uh, I've known Angie since, since high school. Uh, Lindsay's known Angie her, virtually her whole life, uh, played softball with Angie. Um, they're missionaries in uh, Indonesia with Mission Aviation Fellowship. Um, and uh, Angie is, is just a normal, normal lady. Uh, uh, she, she's a mom. Um, she's not like a linguistics expert, right? She, uh, she doesn't love being around giant bugs in a foreign land. Um, she, she's just a normal, normal lady. Um, and Mike, he, uh, he grew up as a missionary kid, and, and since he was little, he knew he wanted to be a mission pilot, right? He, he wanted to fly little planes, um, you know, in bush villages and help missionaries and, and help the indigenous people there. Um, and, and Mike really spent his whole life working towards that. Like similar to, we hear stories about professional athletes and everything they do is leading up to their, their sports career. And, and really Mike was the same way. He, he got his uh, pilot's, license, pilot's license at a, at a pretty young age. And, and like I said, his parents were missionaries, right? They, they didn't exactly have the money to do that. Like Mike took the jobs necessary um, to, to get his license. Um, so that he could learn to fly, and he even signed up or saved up to buy a plane. And then they, they applied to MAF, and they were accepted, and they, they started the fundraising. And Matt, Matt was talking about fundraising and living off fundraising. Man, there's n- nothing fun about that. Uh, but they did it. They did the work, and they, they, raised, they raised funds over a couple of years, and they got into the training, uh, and he worked his way through the training. Um, and, and right towards the end of his training, they determined that uh, while Mike was a good pilot, he was not suited for this kind of work. Right? They'd done all this work for years and years. Really, most of his life, he was working towards this, and he found out that, that he was not suited, in their opinion, to be a missions pilot. And, and, and he pleaded his case. He tried to train more. He did everything that he could. Um, but it, it was devastating. Right? Can you imagine living your whole life working towards this dream, and, and, and now it's, it's gone? And instead, they offered him a position as a mechanic. Not, not a pilot, but a mechanic on the planes. Not even close to what he wanted. Not what they wanted as a family. But they did it. I'm so humbled by Mike doing that. I, I know he is not living his dream right now. Uh, but he's been doing this for, for years. He's been faithful. And, and God has blessed them. He, he, has, he is using them. But, but, but he sacrificed his dreams, right? Like God called him. He, he thought God, God was calling him to one thing. And God called him to something very different. And I'm not saying that, uh, that all of us need to go overseas um, necessarily. Like I hope some of us someday uh, decide that they, you want to go overseas Right? and be missionaries, be on the missions field um, abroad. Um, but I am saying that we ought to make sacrifices like that here because we live in a mission field. I don't know if you realize this, but other countries are sending missionaries here to the U.S. 
right? Like, we used to be the, the biggest sender of missionaries. There's a ton of nations that look at the U.S. and say, man, that place needs God. And, and they're sending their people here. Um, they're sacrificing, right, so that our neighbors can know Jesus. We need to sacrifice. We, we, need, we need to live a life that is ready for whatever God calls us to. So it, it's, it's pretty neat, the, the relationship that... Um, the churches have in Camus with the schools. About three or four times a year, there's a, a, a meeting, a gathering. Uh, the, the schools invite the mayor. They invite uh, uh, pastors from churches, church leaders, uh, different uh, Christian groups even to come. And, and, and we gather together um, to talk about how we can serve kids and families well. Like they're actually inviting us to, to work with them. Um, and, and they've asked us this last year, they've asked us to, uh, to pick a school that, that we'll adopt and, and we'll serve that school. And, and for some churches, it's like, oh man, we got to pray. Which, which, which one, uh, which school do we pick? For us, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray, but Dorothy Fox is our neighbor. So it's pretty obvious. Like God is, we, we share, we share a property line with them. So uh, a couple of years ago, I started talking with Kathy Sork there, the principal, and uh, she's given us some different ways to serve, right? Some different ways to, to show uh, Dorothy Fox people that, that, that they're loved, right? Um, we, we've talked about the lunch buddies before. They, they, they have several students where um, maybe, maybe they don't have both a mom and a dad or, or home, home life's just rough and, and they, need, they need an adult to come eat lunch with them once a week. And uh, we've had some people this last year that did that. I'm, I'm not sure if we have people this year that, that are doing that, but if you'd be interested in that at all, and it, it would be great. Like, this is, this is their number one need that they've said to us. Like, we need people to do this. And, and maybe that scares you, but honestly, all you're doing is, is you're going and eating lunch. Paul uh, did it last year. You could go talk to him uh, about what it's like. Um, and she even told me that, that maybe, maybe people, their schedule wouldn't allow them to do it every week. She, she said she's good with us, like, partnering people up and just making sure each week is covered with these kids. So if you're interested, uh, contact the office this week. Like, we'd, we'd love to connect you with that. She also told me that uh, they, they have a science fair every year, and um, it'd be so helpful if some people would come, some adults come, and just give kids feedback. She's like, you don't have to know anything about science. You just look at their little project, and you, you just write, hey, I love your volcano. You know, that's the only project I can even imagine. Um, I love your volcano. Thank you for, for putting it. It looks like you worked really hard on this. Good job, you know, whatever. Um, they, they, they have a garden there that they need volunteers to work with. There, there, there's, there's a lot of different things. Several years ago, they, uh, the PTA was putting in new playground equipment, and they contacted us and asked if we'd be willing to spread wood chips. So 15, 20 of us went out there, and, and we spread this giant pile of wood chips for them. But I, I want to love Dorothy Fox really, really well. They're our neighbors. I feel like we, we need to do that. Uh, the mayor, I don't know if you know this, but our mayor, uh, he knows Jesus. And, and he asked us, uh, he asked us to pray for the leadership of our city, pray for our schools, for the teachers, the counselors, the administrators, the, the students. Um, Steve Marshall was the, uh, was the principal of the high school. Now he, he, uh, he works for the district. I'm not exactly sure what his role is, but he was sharing about this partnership. And uh, two or three times he mentioned fifth quarter, um, which is something that, that we do here. Uh, Matt, Matt's, Matt does it with, uh, with, for the high school students. It's been uh, after home games. We just open up our church for like an hour and a half for students to play games. And it's, it's a safe place for them. We don't preach. 
Right? We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't share the gospel. I mean, if there were opportunities, we would take it for sure. Um, but, but we're just giving kids a safe place. And, and that's led to some students coming to youth group. Um, but what we didn't know is, is that's led to other people hearing about it, other people being grateful. And, and we're hoping that, that in some way we're pointing to Jesus, right? And that that, that may open up more and more opportunities um, for us to actually share the gospel with people. So uh, now when I, when I pass by Dorothy Fox, I'm praying for Dorothy Fox, and I have to pass it. I mean, I guess I could drive around it, sort of. That wouldn't be very Christ-like of me. Uh, so I, I drive by, and, and, I, and I'm praying for it. Um, I'm, I'm praying for, uh, for the community there, and I'm praying that God would give us opportunities. Uh, but we don't do this to earn favor, right? We, we do this as, as an outpouring. Like, God has loved us so well. We want to lavish people with the love that God has given us. When we get in that meeting, um, I'll try and wrap it up here, but when we get in that meeting, I, I always get a little bit nervous, and I start praying, because um, I don't know the other Christians in there, and, 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 and honestly, what I pray is, I pray, God, don't let us screw this up. Like, this is a special thing. Don't let us mess this up. Lord, I pray that we would represent you so well, that all the churches here um, in this room, that, that we would point to you, and that we would shine brightly for you. Lord, would you help us to love like you, so that someday some of these people might come to know you, to trust in you. And, and, and I pray that we wouldn't just come off as being good people, that we wouldn't just be nice people, but, but that God would give us an opportunity to share the gospel. So I, I just pray, Lord, would you please use us? Would you help us to be neighbors, God, that are, that are, that are good, that are honoring to you? Let's pray. Jesus, um, God, we want to honor you. We want to love you, Lord. I don't want my neighbors to think I'm just a nice person. Lord, I, I want opportunities to share about you. Lord, if, if there are people that we need to make things right with, Lord, if, if we can end up pointing to you by reconciling, by, by swallowing our pride, by admitting where we're wrong, by making it right, Jesus, would you help us to do that, Lord? It's in your name we pray, amen.